Let's ask God to be with us as we get started this morning, okay? Father, will you speak to us through your word as we know you're eager to do, because you are God who speaks, and help us see our lives in light of what you say. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So I want to start out with a greeting and maybe some potentially bad advice, okay? So my greeting is, hello, I'm from Louisville, Kentucky. Thank you. We got some folks down there. It's my privilege to teach at Southern Seminary. And it was once my, my privilege to be a student here, learning things that came in handy in my teaching now. In fact, when I saw that my name was between Dr. White and Dr. Dan Estes, I, I just thought, who is worthy of these things? Dr. Estes, if you're here, you helped me love the Psalms. And that's carried me through many dark nights. So thank you for that. And thank you for the faculty that invested in me here. All right, do you wanna hear some potentially bad advice, okay? I met my wife in that rear section back there, okay? That's not the bad advice, by the way, okay? But we were friends for a long time. We were hanging out, we were in the same friend group, and our friends would always do stuff. And I could tell she was starting to get interested in me when she would ask, hey, where were you when I wasn't with the friend group? So there was one morning at chapel, we were in the back there, and she said, so where were you last night? And it was one of those moments that you know is just like a crucial moment in life. It's a trajectory setting moment. I knew that my answer to her in that moment would set the trajectory of our relationship for the rest of our lives. So when she asked where I was, I just shrugged and said, don't worry about it and I walked away. And that is how an alpha male gets an alpha female. Okay, that actually might have been really bad advice, so don't take it, I'll leave it to you, whether that was good or bad. But I also met many of my best friends, actually, in this room. And I could list them by name, but some of their nicknames are really not for public consumption because they take too long to explain. Yeah, that's it. These are friends who are with me now, 23 years later. I graduated in 2001. You know these kind of friends. They're, they're the kind of friends who share that weird pattern of humor that only makes sense in your friend group. You know that. Or who enjoy the same things that you enjoy, like Ohio State football, or 90s alternative rock. And they also hate the things you hate, like the Kansas City Chiefs, and Taylor Swift. I'm kidding, I don't hate anyone, just so you know, I don't hate anyone. Except for Satan, I do hate him. But more important, these friends, they're the kind of friends who strengthen your hand in God. They're, they're the kind of friends who call you to celebrate when God works something out on your behalf, to celebrate the good things in your life. And they're, and they're the kind of friends that take your call, even if it's in the middle of the night, when bad things happen in your life. And in all these years, I, I've wondered, why have these friendships lasted so long? 
why do I have the privilege of having friends like these? What makes for lasting friendships like that? And over the years, I've counseled tons of people. I've pastored many people. I've seen countless broken relationships, countless people discouraged and lonely. I've spent many hours observing relational dynamics and and trying to give guidance to the people who are navigating those dynamics. Lasting friendships, friends, are, are a gift from God. But what I want to show you this morning is they don't come by accident. The way God gives friendships is by first giving us hearts that are prepared for friendship. It's, it's that heart that I want to talk to you about this morning and, and tomorrow morning. So if there's one thing I've learned in ministry, it's that these, the, the little insecurities, the little jealousies that can disrupt friendships, they're anything but little. They're big. They indicate something about the heart that can actually not just derail a particular friendship, it can actually derail your path humbly following the Lord. You see, these little insecurities and jealousies, they're, they're like warning lights that tell you something about the engine inside. These warning lights tell us, namely, that we're not trusting the Lord with who he's made us to be and the pathway that he's placed us on. So our message today and tomorrow is gonna be part warning, part promise. And we'll see that God means to show us in a certain epic friendship in scripture. It's the friendship of Jonathan David. By epic, I mean literally epic, an epic narrative. I know the word epic isn't cool anymore, okay? But here's our main idea that we're gonna be covering today and tomorrow. The key to lasting friendship is humility before God. Humility is trusting the Lord's unique will for your own life and his own unique will for your friend's life. This neutralizes both insecurity and jealousy, okay? That was a lot there, but, get, but we got two days for this, okay? So we're gonna actually just kind of cut it in half there. Today, I'm gonna talk about humility is trusting the Lord's unique will for your own life. And tomorrow, I'm going to be talking about humility is trusting the Lord's unique will for your friend's life, okay? So, let's consider part one here. Humility is trusting the Lord's unique will for your life, and that's going to end up neutralizing insecurity, okay? So, the main text we're going to be launching from is 1 Samuel chapter 18. I'm just going to look at a few verses here and there. This text is meant to emphasize a contrast between the way two different people react to the same individual named David. The way King Saul reacts to David versus the way his son Jonathan reacts to David. So as I read these spattering of verses, I want you to take note of the difference, okay? So 1 Samuel 18, I'm going to read first verses 1 through 4. This is right after David killed Goliath, by the way. As soon as David had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. 
And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul went him so that Saul set him over the men of war. This was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Okay, so that was Jonathan's response to David. Flip over. I'm going to actually look at verse 12. I think that's a little bit different than what's in the outline. But, but look at verse 12, okay? Saul basically saw David's success. People were singing about David in a way they weren't singing about Saul, and he got jealous and he got upset. But here's the summary statement there in verse 12. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him commander of a thousand. And he went in and came out before the people. And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe. Did you catch the difference between the two? Twice, the text says, Jonathan loved David. And twice, the text says, Saul feared David. So what do we do with this, okay? Well, let me, let me actually give you a little Bible lesson point. Uh, this is a good principle for good Bible reading, but also good Bible teaching. And men in here, good Bible preaching, if that's your calling. Here's, here's the principle I wanna show you. A thick reading of scripture will lead to thick application to life. And a thin reading of scripture will lead to thin application of life. So here's, here's an example of a thin way that we could apply that. You just read it, and you could say, okay, be like Jonathan, be a good friend. What did Jonathan do? Jonathan shared. He gave him his robe, his belt, his sword. So good friends share, okay? That's not a bad principle. It's just not teaching you the heart of really what's going on here. Or you could say, well, look at Saul. He was a bad friend. He was afraid of David. So good friends aren't scared of people. Or if you were to read the rest of it, good friends don't try to spear their friends against the wall twice, okay? You could do it once, but not twice. Here's my point, guys. Thin application comes from thin reading. So we should read the text that I just said and wonder, well, why did they respond so differently? This chapter doesn't explain it. So you can't just pick up a couple different ideas from a text and directly apply it to your life, though that is okay, that's not the best reading practice. So instead, we should look at what the story is telling about these two men that then make sense of why they reacted the way they did to the same person. That's what I mean by a thick reading. By a thick reading, I just mean a theological reading. We look at the larger themes of this story of Jonathan and David and Samuel and Saul. And specifically, the, what we're looking for is the themes that show us God's purposes in this spattering of relationships, in this complex relational web. And so a thick reading will show us that Saul related to David in fear because he did not trust the Lord's will for his life, okay? And it led to him being fearful and insecure. 
And we're also gonna see on the other hand that by contrast, Jonathan did trust God's will for his life and therefore he was humble and he was generous of heart, okay? So there's my two points for today. So the first one being Saul did not trust the Lord's will. So he responded to David in fear, okay? Now, from the first time we see Saul in this story, we see that he's full of fear and insecurity. Yes, about himself, but I think the driving point is he's full of fear and insecurity because he does not want to listen to the Lord's word ever, okay? So when God sent the prophet Samuel to anoint Saul as king, Saul didn't tell anybody, presumably because he wasn't convinced of it himself. In fact, when, when Samuel then tried to tell everybody and do a public anointing of Saul, anybody know the story enough to know what he did? He hid with the baggage because he didn't, he didn't believe that this was true. And even after the Spirit of God came upon Saul and he did great things, both prophesying and great things even in battle, he nevertheless still feared the people and shied away from doing what God explicitly said. This is chapters 10, chapter 11, chapter 15. It's all over the place. So here's what I'm getting at. Saul did not trust God's will for his life or for his leadership. And one of the times we see this most clearly is when Saul was actually gearing up his army at a place called Gilgal to fight the Philistines, okay? And Samuel told him, all right, I'm gonna come, we're gonna sacrifice to the Lord, which means we're gonna seek his blessing, we're gonna seek his will, we're gonna seek his permission as to whether we should go and fight or not. So wait for me and we'll do the sacrifice together. Saul waited for a while, but he got impatient. He started seeing his army get restless. He started seeing them scatter away. And so he, he said, he probably thought, I'm a man of action. I'm scared of what's about to happen. I need to take matters in my own hands. So Saul did not listen to God's word through his prophet to wait on him and seek his blessing on God's terms. He said, nope, I'm gonna do it on my terms because I don't trust it. So let me read for you what happens. This is in chapter 13. If you wanna go there, you can, but let me just read it to you. Samuel said, said, Saul, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattering from me and you didn't come within the days appointed and that the Philistines had mustered at Mishmash, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered this burnt offering. Samuel said to Saul, you've done foolishly. You've not kept the command of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. That is what was pleasing to the Lord, that he listens to God's will for him and he trusts it. He's humble enough to submit to it. Saul did not trust God's plan for his life. And that pattern that was established in these chapters leading up to his interaction with David is the explanation why he reacted to David in the way that he did. In other words, Saul's lack of trust in God shaped the way he responded to everything, including David. Did you know that you're made out of the same stuff as Saul? 
insofar as we don't trust God, that's not just between you and God. It shapes the way you actually react and respond to everyone else. Saul, sure, his personality might have been kind of insecure and fearful anyway, but this isn't about personality here, okay? This is about he fundamentally did not trust the Lord. Now, the good news is he's not the only one in the story. So my second point, by contrast, is Jonathan trusted the Lord's will, so he responded to David in love. So from the very first time we see Jonathan in this story, he's full of faith and of courage. Sure, he was capable warrior, he was a strong leader, but what is most important about Jonathan again and again in the text is that he sought the word of the Lord and he submitted to it. The first time we see this is when Saul actually is hiding in a cave, scared of the Philistines. And Jonathan goes out to go see what they can do and to seek God's will for having a victory over the Philistines. Jonathan was not marked by the same fear that Saul was. So the story goes that Jonathan and his shield bearer come to this point where it's, they're up in the mountains and there's like a, a pathway, a narrow path through the mountains with two like huge cliffs on the side. So there's only one way to get through and there's about 20 Philistines camped there guarding that very strategic place. So let me, let me read for you what Jonathan did. This is, this is in 14 if you're interested, chapter 14. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised it may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. And his armor bearer said to him, do all that's in your heart, do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. Then Jonathan said, behold, we will cross over to these men and we'll show ourselves to them. If they say to us, wait until we come to you, then we'll stand still in our place and we will not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, then we'll go up, for the Lord has given them into our hand, and this shall be the sign to us. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, look, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they've hidden themselves. And the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come up to us. We want to show you a thing. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Then Jonathan climbed up with his hands and feet and his armor bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan, and his armor bearer killed them after him. And that first strike, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, killed about 20 men within, as it were, a furrow's length in an acre of, of land, and panic gripped the camp. This guy was a stud. He goes up there, and he just fillets 20 dudes. This is like, this is like, uh, Fortnite in real life, okay? Where you got like one leader, team leader, who's carrying the whole team and he just takes care of it and then the, uh, the rest of the team comes and just does cleanup, okay? But the point is not that he's a stud. The point is that he sought the favor of God and the word of God in order to be his confidence and his strength. In other words, he did not take matters into his own hands like Saul did. Do you see the difference? What made him so courageous was his faith in the word of the Lord. So this is what I'm saying. 
Jonathan trusted God's will for his life and that trust characterized his response to everything else, including David, as we see in the next few chapters. Jonathan, in other words, had a heart of faith. Folks, isn't that kind of amazing that, that courage comes from humility? Only the Bible can make sense out of that stuff of that sense. We typically think of courage as coming from a strong sense of pride, a strong sense of self. That's not where courage comes from. Courage comes from being absolutely convinced that God is who he says he is and he will do what he's promised to do. And it, and it makes you forget yourself, doesn't it? It makes you generous. It makes you bold to be a good friend to other people. Because, because the way this makes sense is humility means that you're trusting God's ways are best and then you act in light of it. So humility, friends, is a sign of strength. It might be the primary sign of strength that we see in the biblical witness for a human being. Because pride means that you're trusting your own ways are best and then you're acting defensively constantly to get what you want. That was true of Saul. So get this, friends, because Jonathan was humble, he had the courage not just to fight his enemies, but to love his friends. Here's what you need to realize about Jonathan, guys. He was the next one in line for the throne. He was the rightful heir of the throne. And here you have this upstart David coming, and he has clearly been declared to be the future king, the replacement for Saul. So that meant he was going to be the replacement for Jonathan. And yet, Jonathan reacted to him in love. Do you see how that's only explainable? Because Jonathan trusted the word of the Lord even when it was contrary to, to his interests and to what he would probably have preferred. So let's apply this to our lives, friends, and our friendships. Here, here's an application for you. Trusting the Lord's will for your life frees you from insecurity about yourself, which allows you then to be a friend to others. The contrast between the way Saul related to David and the way Jonathan related to David teaches us that confidence in God is the key to lasting friendships. Personal insecurity destroys friendships. Have you noticed this yet? I've seen this again and again and again in ministry. Insecurity comes from, from insisting on your own vision of what you ought to be. You're constantly dogging yourself. You're constantly nervous and defensive and cagey because you have this vision of what your life should be what it ought to be, and any evidence that it's not going that way, you react against. And do you see how that just harms relationships? Maybe you don't like the way you look or the body that God has given you. Maybe you're not sure how you fit into your social group and you're scared of not being accepted. Maybe you wish your family were wealthier or you weren't from a divorced home and it makes you feel insecure. Maybe you see other people getting really great opportunities that you don't get and it makes you anxious about your own future. Folks, all these fears are understandable. But what I'm trying to point out to you 
is that if you live by these fears instead of by faith, you turn inward. One of the main themes of this story, if we had more time, we could unpack lots of different themes in the story, is actually God's choice. God chooses who's king. God chooses who he sets up and who he puts on the shelf for a season. God chooses the good things as well as what we perceive of as the bad things that happen in our life. That's a major emphasis of this story. So friends, God chose everything about you. It is God's determination and you can trust him with that. Because God's choice is the best news you could ever hear because he chose you for salvation. He chose you to belong to him and to be beloved by him and to set his unique affection on you that will never depart from you. That's God's determination. It's way better than your determination. It's way better than your choice. So what if? What if you humbled yourself and learned to thank God for his pathway that he's placed you on? Even the things that you wish were different. Actually, folks, here's a challenge for you. Especially the things that you wish were different about your life. If you learn to thank God for those very things, that might be the surest sign that you're learning to trust his will over your own, for you and for your life. Because folks, he's wiser than you are. He's stronger than you are. He's more generous to you than you could possibly be to yourself. Do you realize that? Trusting that will free you to be generous towards other people, generous towards the friends that God puts in your life. So how do you apply this? How do you practice this? You know, I could just tell you, so be humble. But honestly, I think I'm gonna do you one better, okay? Here's, here's, Here's the application for you. In Jesus Christ, this humility we're talking about to submit to God's will, this humility is already yours. So ask for it. That's the application. Did you know that Jesus actually had to trust his father's will for himself in order to be a good friend to you? Did you know that? Do you remember what he said in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was looking at the death that was coming? He expressed his interests To the Lord, Father, Abba, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. But even in that moment, Jesus knew that greater love has no one than this. Do you know the rest? That a man lay down his life for his friends. And so that caused him to then follow up his prayer with, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. So friends, here's the great thing about the gospel. That humility I'm talking about to submit to God, that's not in you. It wasn't. It's not supposed to be sourced in you. It's sourced in Jesus, who fulfilled God's purposes for human beings to be humble before him, 
He did it on your behalf. He earned it for you. You can think of it that way. And now he'll distribute it to you whenever you want it. Did you know that? So this is one of those prayers, guys, that you're gonna be praying again and again and again and again. Lord, give me the humility to forget myself and trust you with who you made me to be, the opportunities you've put in my life, and the, and, and the direction that you have for my future. Because that is how you push insecurity out of the way that you then relate to people and you're freed to be a really good friend, okay? So that's it for today. Tomorrow, what we're gonna be talking about then is how this then applies to jealousy in particular. And what I wanna do is show you again from Jonathan and David, there's even more richness here. So let me ask God's blessing on us and we'll go about our day. Father, I ask on behalf of my friends in this room, all of us who know you by faith, that you would make us humble. You would, you would share with us this virtue of humility that is true of you. And Father, that you would then help us to relate to others, Lord, in a way that sees you as the center of all things. And it just transforms and frees us, Lord, from some of the thoughts that can really capture us and can really cripple our relationships. So do this for us, do this in us, because we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, folks. We're dismissed.